Hi, welcome. Here is Hot of the Cloud from Cloud on Out. Um, my name is Andreas. And my name is Michael. And this is our weekly show about basically all things AWS, um, the news from this week. It's about our lessons learned. And last but not least, it's about your questions. So if you're following this live, please use the chat um, to ask, send us your questions. We will uh, try to answer them um, at the end of the show. But um, first of all, I think, Michael, um, we should uh, start going over what happened uh, this week on AWS, so going through the news. So I'm using an RSS feed reader to scroll through all the announcements from AWS. And actually, I didn't mark too many of the uh, items that came in this week with, with a star, which is basically my system of um, preparing for this show. Um, but still, I got a few. So, yeah, let's see what we can uh, bring together here. Yes, Andreas. So I think it's kind of clear that um, there is like preparation going on for reInvent. Uh, so we will see lots of announcements <laughs> before and during reInvent. And now it's a little bit less than usual. But uh, yeah, so let's dive into what we have, Andreas. Yeah, absolutely. So I will start. So my first announcement from the past week is... AWS Glue crawlers support incremental Amazon S3 crawling on existing Glue data catalog tables. So um, I didn't know about uh, that feature, uh, but I found it very interesting because um, so I've been using Glue crawlers from time to time to scan over data stored on S3 to prepare it basically for mainly for Athena. That's my main use case for it. And um, I, I used the crawling over a whole bucket or over a specific path in a bucket. Um, but it, yeah, it sounded interesting to me that now you can use, um, basically only scan uh, the bucket when something changes and only scan through the files that actually changed <laughs> um, since you scanned them the last time, which is probably important to reduce costs for all those list bucket calls and also going over a lot of data that you've already seen. So um, I played around with that little feature a little bit. And actually, that's what I like about preparing for this show, because <laughs> uh, it, it makes sure that I'm going into those features and playing around with them a little. So actually, what, what you need to set up is um, you need to set up S3 event notifications for the buckets that you're interested in. And then you set up an SQS queue as well. So basically you make sure that these S3 events getting stored in an SQS queue. And then uh, you configure the clue crawler and basically you have an option there, um, scan on demand or not, not on demand, but scan only um, what has changed um, only the changes that happened in the S3 bucket. And I thought, so my <laughs> when I tried the feature without reading through the documentation um, in very detail, my idea was whenever a new event gets uploaded, it will just spin up the crawler and make sure that this, this gets added. But that's not the case. Um, so what happens is you configure the clue crawler, um, runs on a schedule, 
And what the Clue Crawler is then doing when you enable this new feature, it basically reads all the events uh, from the SQS queue, which all the changes to your S3 objects, and then only scans through those. So that's um, what happens. It, it makes sense probably to do not do that on every change because you need to spin up the clue crawl and everything and you pay for that and stuff, per, I think per minute. So it makes sense to batch basically the incoming files and then go over that list. And SQS makes a lot of sense for that as well because it's a durable queue. Yeah, so, um, so in my very <laughs> simple test with a few CSV files, um, this worked very well and yeah, sorry, I have one question. Is is like the SQS queue, is that owned by me or is it like a, <laughs> a clue queue that I configure? Yeah, it's owned by, by yourself. So you configure that. You okay. can also configure a dead letter queue. It also does not, um, okay. um, yeah, this is just owned by you. And you have to make sure that um, the, bug, uh, the, the queue policy and the IAM policy for the mm -hmm. crawler fit perfectly fine. So yeah, that's a little, uh, okay. it would be cool if it just happens out of the box, but... Yeah, still a okay. nice feature. All right. So the next news uh, item that we are going to talk about is a change or an addition, uh, a little feature to AWS Lambda. So what AWS Lambda did uh, since uh, um, a couple of, I don't know if it's months or years, but basically what you can do is you can collect Lambda to different, uh, sorry, to different event sources, for example, uh, Kinesis Stream, SQSQ, and so on and so forth. And what you can do since um, quite some time is you can filter those events. You can, um, and the way this works is that uh, if you are familiar with event bridge, like the, um, the rule syntax, that is using the exact same syntax. So you can kind of filter and only invoke the function if the incoming event matches the filter. Um, and that was available for a couple of uh, input uh, sources. And what, what changed last week is that this now works for... Um, for Kafka sources, and this includes the uh, the managed Kafka from AWS, uh, and it also includes self-managed Kafka, so you can hook up Lambda to a self-managed Kafka cluster. And the second um, addition is it now works for Amazon MQ. So Amazon MQ is kind of the RDS for um, queuing systems, so it, it supports ActiveMQ and RabbitMQ at the moment. So for um, those kinds of systems, you can now also use the filtering technique. And one of the biggest benefits why you might want to use this is that uh, it is basically free of charge. So the filtering is free. Uh, so if you, in your Lambda function at the moment, do a lot of uh, filtering for yourself, then this might be uh, a way to reduce your, your Lambda uh, costs and also maybe simplify your code a little bit. Um, on the other side, it also makes testing a little bit harder, but um, that's kind of the trade-off here. So I... I learned two interesting things, Andreas, by looking at this news item a little bit in more detail. Uh, the first thing that I uh, was kind of, or what is a little bit problematic, is that when you make a change to this filter uh, configuration, then the documentation says that um, it can take up to 15 minutes to apply your filtering rules. So <laughs> when you are developing and something is not working, you make a change, and then it's kind of with IAM policy, so you, you don't really know when it is active. So you have to be very, very, very patient uh, when you uh, develop those kind of things because you don't really know when the rule that you are seeing is actually the one that is applied in uh, the real world. So that's a little bit problematic, I think. Um, not sure um, if that is a big problem. 
but uh, it is at least mentioned in the docs. And the other thing that, that I um, like is, um, or the concept that you have to keep in mind is, and this is the same for SQS messages, when you receive a message that does not match the filter, the Lambda uh, system or runtime, whatever, will acknowledge the message as processed. So in Amazon MQ, it acknowledges the message. So this is a like simple or, or very similar to SQS. And in Kafka, um, it it commits the offset for the message. It also kind of, in the end, it marks this, the message as processed. For messages that match the filter, it will only acknowledge them if the Lambda function invocation is successful. So it waits for, it's basically a synchronous invocation. And then it acknowledges the message. So that's something to keep in mind, um, just to understand how everything works. And that's all I have to say uh, about uh, this new uh, feature. Cool. Very interesting. I didn't look into uh, all those integrations yet, but it sounds very interesting and also a good thing to have those options. Really a lot of options, actually. Even a self-managed Kafka. This is nothing I would expect from, from Lambda. Yeah? Very cool. The next item that got my attention is um, Amazon EC2 adds service quotas for Amazon machine images. <laughs> I think that is... Um, a very um, uncommon announcement from AWS that they are um, adding a new quota for something that has been around. Um, but yeah, here it is. So I think the most important thing to notice here is that there is now a maximum number of public AMIs allowed in the region um, per account, and this is five. So you cannot publish more than five AMIs publicly per region. Um, there are also two other um, quotas. One is um, the maximum number of entities that you can share an AMI with is um, 1,000. And the, the maximum number of public and private AMIs per region is 50,000. <laughs> so that's probably um, unlikely to, or some might um, happen to um, hit this quota, but most probably don't. I think... Um, uh, I'm not sure what these uh, quotas are about. Probably some of them are from a cost perspective to avoid um, huge spending because of some misconfiguration. The other with the maximum number of public AMIs might be to make sure that no one is just, I don't know, making AMIs public to <laughs> share them with other accounts they own themselves and to make sure that they uh, have a look into that with AWS support um, when requesting a quota increase maybe. Um, no matter, um, all those three uh, quotas can be increased, so they are all adjustable. You can open a, um, a request for that and get those limits uh, increased. Okay, Andrew, as I see. Um, so the next item that I picked is um, a change to Athena. So that's the service that can, for example, query your S3 bucket uh, using SQL as the query language. And um, there is the Announcement is there is now a new engine available, a new query engine. It's version 3. And I think by default, most of us will run still on version 2. So the the way Athena works is there's something called, I think it's called a workgroup or workspace. I'm not 100% sure about that. I think it's workgroup. And they are configured by default that Athena decides when they upgrade to the new version. And so all my accounts that I checked were still on version 2. But you can manually set this to version 3. And the question is now, why should you do that, right? So, I mean, what are the benefits? So, let me quickly talk about the benefits. And um, so, what AWS says is there are 50 new SQL functions and 30 new features. 
I kind of looked through all these changes, so they are documented in kind of a release note document, um, and I, I don't think there's anything that is really significant for lots of people. I mean, there are lots of niche stuff that it was added, and I, I think a couple of people are very happy about that. Uh, but I, I, I was not uh, kind of like seeing something that's uh, so important that I want to share it here. But keep in mind there are some new uh, features, so that's always great. Um, new possibilities. Um, the, the the thing that kind of catched me was that they also mentioned that um, there is a, a query performance improvement, and um, actually the claim was that the query performance is quite high. Uh, so the blog post is. Um, using some standardized, uh, like for database workloads and, and stuff, they have so standardized tests, standardized data sets where they run some queries and then they measure that. And this was really significant improvements in performance. I don't really remember the numbers, but it was significant. And so I tried to um, do this with a couple of queries um, that we use. So for example, we have CloudFront access logs. We have... Um, what else do we have? S3 access logs. We also have um, some right reports from AWS Marketplace. So we have like medium volume data and also very low volume data. And usually this is CSV files or something like that. And so I executed the query. I changed uh, the version and I executed the query again. And I was like, my expectation was that this is now a little bit faster. So it turns out all of my queries were actually slower. <laughs> so uh, 10 to 20% slower. Uh, so I was not able to perform any query that was faster. Um, I don't know if that's because of the, the data set size. So I, 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 I was not able to run a query that, that really was in the terabyte um, range because I, like all my queries are kind of, they narrow down the data set so much that it's, it's gigabytes in the end. Uh, so I don't know if this really, the change only is significant if you have uh, lots of data that Athena has to process. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's the reason. But if anyone kind of experiences a, a significant <coughs> performance improvement, feel free to share that with us. And also maybe it's some details about the data set and the query that you run that that would be of interest to me, at least. Um, so yeah, that's it. Athena, a new version, you can enable it if you wish. Otherwise, AWS will at some point in time upgrade you automatically mm -hmm. uh, i don't see any like there was no kind of um, deprecation warnings or some incompatible compatibility sorry um in the documentation so i don't expect any problems by switching over to version 3 um but yeah that's it andreas aws announced a new cost explorer console experience <laughs> so <laughs> i looked into that so a new experience sounded great so i, I expected a lot from <laughs> the cost explorer experience and um yeah so actually at it as it turns out at least i could not find any new features in the cost explorer so it seems to be exactly the same feature set so exactly the same graph exactly the same table I think the the experience that changed is that they are using their new UI kit to build um, this part uh, of the management console. So basically, it looks like all those new um, UI interfaces that AWS announced over the past month. Um, so nothing too fancy. Um, let's have a short break from uh, all those AWS news. Um, and in case you're looking for a new job, you should uh, pay especially attention to the following offerings. Because uh, as we all know, um, AWS expertise is in high demand and we have 
uh, we will share um, two open uh, positions from our partners. Um, our partner Demicon is hiring a senior full-stack developer. Um, so besides AWS, your favorite tech stack uh, should include things like JavaScript or TypeScript, Angular or React for the front end, and Node.js or Golang um, for the back end. So if you are really into building applications on AWS as a full-stack developer, and you also want to lead other developers doing so, um, check out Demicon, which is a first uh, remote-first company hiring um, within Europe. You'll find all the details in the show notes, find a link to um, the job description there as well, of course. And then our partner at TechRacer is hiring a cloud consultant focusing on AWS migrations. Um, so basically that rule includes things like planning a migration, um, change management, working of course very um, tightly with the customer, but also uh, bringing in a team of experts, basically managing a cloud center of excellence to make sure that the migration um, is a success, which means from a technical perspective, of course, but also from a business perspective. So things like um, um, yeah, bringing on the business case for that, communicating that with everyone in the organization. Um, so if you're into that, if you uh, find those um, migration projects and change management project interesting, uh, check out this uh, open position. Um, TechRacer uh, has offices in Hanover, Duisburg, Frankfurt, Hamburg, Munich, Vienna, Lisbon, and Lucerne. And um, so check out um, TechRacer and this open position as a cloud consultant focusing on AWS migrations. So Michael, did oh, you right. learn anything <laughs> that is worth sharing in the past week? <laughs> uh, yes, I think so. So what um, I think I complained about this, and you also complained about this in the past uh, on Twitter, that we have a couple of code pipelines that are actually super slow. So it, I, I mean, it, it feels very slow compared to other technologies that are available these days. And so what we did or what I did for um, a client actually this or last week is that we migrated a pipeline from code pipeline over to GitHub Actions. And it is really impressive how much faster it runs. So what does the pipeline do? It deploys a lot of CloudFormation stacks. And most of the time, none of those stacks is changing. So it basically is just an update without any changes. And it turns out that in code pipeline, every CloudFormation update action that is uh, implemented uh, needs at least five to ten seconds to execute and in github actions it's one to two seconds so this is like significantly faster and it really you can feel that so it it runs significantly faster and i think that's really um, something to keep in mind and i think we definitely should um, rework our pipelines as well because it's it's really frustrating and it really slows you down if you have to wait for the pipeline to finish and it really it, it it takes a lot of time to to do more or less nothing, <laughs> and it it even gets worse if it starts code pipeline actions because code uh, sorry code build actions because code build takes so long to start up actually to do something, but yeah, in this case it was just cloud formation stack deployments, um, and, but it still it runs so much faster even though it it like code pipeline does some parallelization. And, and GitHub Actions doesn't, uh, or at least the way that I implemented it, and it's still it's faster in the end. So yeah, mm. that was my lesson learned. And <laughs> um, so it is. I think 
beneficial to to do the uh, migration and also like the integration with github uh, the open id connect integration to kind of provide a or like get rid of the im users that you needed before that and where you also have to rotate the credentials manually and all that stuff so that's gone it's not needed anymore you just set up open id connect and open id connect provider in aws iam and uh, you trust the github um, um, uh, kind of implementation and then you have access to your AWS account from a GitHub Action with temporary credentials. So that that's really cool. It really works very seamlessly. So there's no no problems here. It it really worked. I, I just it, it worked the first time. So I pushed to my GitHub repository and it just worked. So that was great. Um, and actually in GitHub Actions, what I also learned is that you can reuse um, workflows. So you can have a workflow that calls another workflow and have parameterization. So in code pipeline, I, I always mm. write all my, like if I have a dev and a broad stage, this is more or less a copy, like dev is a copy of broad or the other way around. I just switch some names. And with GitHub Actions, that's not needed because you can have one flow that deploys everything with one input parameter that's called stage name or something. And then it just is like a single change. Like if you make a new CloudFormation template at this uh, in a single place, then it works in, in both uh, dev and, and broad. So that's really cool. Um, so it's faster and it's easier to reuse. Um, it also like user experience integrated in GitHub. It's everything is really nice looking and you'll see where the problems are. Um, so yeah, mm. that's my lesson learned. <laughs> uh, so probably code pipeline is on, on hold now. Uh, so we will probably use more of GitHub Actions. So. Yeah. So I've been working uh, in a project where we also uh, migrated from code pipeline to GitHub Actions. And I think... Um, I've heard about others doing the same right now, so I think the trend is uh, <laughs> definitely with this new OpenID Connect. Well, not not so new, but still um, um, newish <laughs> feature um, to move away from Code Pipeline and go with GitHub Actions. Okay, so um, Hot of the Cloud is also about your questions. So uh, you can send us your questions um, either um, on the live stream uh, by using the chat. Or um, you can also um, send us uh, a message through the week. Um, the hashtag AskCloudOnOut is perfect for that. Or send us a direct message or what have you. Um, and we will happy, be happy to answer your question. Um, so we have uh, one question in the chat from uh, CloudServer22. And um, the question is, um, does the CloudFormation book in your, uh, example in your book autoscale Fargate based on SQS events. We don't really have a Fargate example that consumes from SQS, Andreas. No, Can you remember no, one? We don't. So I think it's EC2, basically. Yeah. The, we, we have one with EC2. And the, uh, so with the new chapter, chapter 18 in the book, in AWS in Action, um, is about running containers on AWS. And um, we introduce an app runner there, and very, very briefly. And the other one that we go into is um, basically how to build a cloud-native cloud application with ECS, Fargate, and S3. And the application that we, the example in there is basically a note-taking app, and it runs on Fargate, just a container, spins up a container on Fargate, and uh, which presents a, a web interface. And um, in the, the data layer is basically an S3 uh, bucket, um, so there's no SQS involved in our uh, container um, example in the book. It presents the standard, cust uh, the standard certificate for the Amazon AWS, uh, 
Amazon AWS uh, domain name. Um, so the the workaround that I'm aware of um, is that you place an NLB in front of the um, VPC endpoint. So basically, uh, the NLB uh, just forwards the incoming traffic to the um, network interfaces of the VPC endpoint for API gateway. And by doing so, you basically use the NLB um, to, uh, or basically you configure your certificate at the NLB. And uh, that means <laughs> that now your custom domain name um, with uh, your own certificate works with a private API gateway. So basically, one more time, the flow is the, the request comes in, it goes through the NLB, which uh, has a target group which points to the VPC endpoint, two or more uh, private IP addresses. And the, the VPC endpoint basically forwards then or yeah, distributes the request to your API gateway, which only accepts requests um, from this single VPC endpoint. So that's basically how you build a private API gateway with a custom domain name. Cool. All yeah. Right. Thank you for um, um, asking your questions. So if you have any uh, follow-up questions or uh, other questions, let us know. Happy to answer them uh, next week. Um, so this is Hot of the Cloud uh, for today. We will be back uh, next week with the latest AWS news, our lessons learned, and your questions. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.